Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. So good to be here this morning. It feels strange. We, we missed two Sundays. One we were on mission and one we were on a break. And uh, it's so good to be back. Um, yeah, we had a great time in the, in the Mulapua at the pastor summit up there on the border of Botswana. And uh, yeah, thanks so much to everybody that, was, that prayed for us. It was a really good time, and the Lord is really faithful. It always amazes me. We, we only have actually have a very short time of ministry when we, we have these pastor summits up there. But it's amazing how much the Lord did. And always afterwards, it feels like it was much longer because it's such an intense time of ministry. So thanks so much for your prayers and all glory to God for His goodness. And um, yeah, it's just good to see what God is doing. I mean, sure, yeah, it's nice and fresh here. Don't be shy to bring a blankie, hey, if you need one. Christoph used to have these little knee blankets. Do you still have them, Christoph? Just uh, if you need a tip where to get a knee blanket, Christoph's your guy. He can uh, sort you out. But yeah, no, they are honestly, no, not, not joking. So if you feel you need to bring something, please do that. Um, it's nearly impossible to heat up this volume of air effectively, so you're welcome to bring something along. Amen. Great. Cool. Um, <clears throat> yeah, we've been chatting about about stepping into God's love and stepping into His purpose. And uh, and yeah, what a blessing. Uh, if you missed last week, I, I haven't been able to, to listen to the whole thing, but the part that I listened to has been so encouraging from Philip in terms of how we respond to God's word and how we respond to His call um, as He as He leads us into His purpose. Um, so please have a listen to that. This morning, I just wanted to look a little bit at this dynamic that we see in Scripture, um, and we see it, you know, in the life of Jesus, <clears throat> where He calls His disciples and He says, "Come and follow Me," and He says, "And I." will make you fishers of men, right? So that's, that's an encouragement that we don't have to become something or achieve or, you know, be, be perfect and then we can only follow him. He says, no, come and follow and then I will make. I will do the making and the shaping and everything else. Um, and, and, the, and we see this kind of this pattern in, in, the, in the ministry of Jesus where he calls us to himself, all right? And then he says, Go into all the world. And then and then he says, come, and he says, go. So there's this there's this pattern of us drawing near to Christ. And obviously in our going we are also near near him. But the point is he you know, first we come near to him, first we draw near, we you know, he transforms us, he changes us, he fills us with himself and then he 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 unleashes us I mean, into the world. Um and he sends us out. And so, but this this pattern is not only in the New Testament. We see this 
throughout Scripture, this place where um, God uses these ordinary people like you and I to do extraordinary things, but we also see this place where there's preparation that happens, where there's seasons that, difficult seasons people go through in preparation for that which God has prepared for them before. And it's obviously great in Scripture because then you see the end and then you realize, oh, but that stuff that happened to this poor guy there in the beginning was be- so that this and this could happen. Like, like Joseph is a good example here. <laughs> Where he was imprisoned and everything else and sold as a slave and then imprisoned. Um, and then uh, he was promoted to a place of authority. But, you know, so for us it's great because we, we can see the hindsight of Joseph. But for Joseph, not so great at all, you know, being <laughs> spending all that time. But So I just want to look at a couple of, I'm not going to look at Joseph, but a couple of examples of how God prepares us for His purposes and how the, the seasons that we wrestle through have a lot of purpose in them. All right, so trying to kind of try and not be too long, but let's look at, um, let's look at, yeah, um, life of Moses, <clears throat> and just a bit of context before we read. Um, so the nation of Israel is enslaved in Egypt, and uh, they've been there for, what, 400 years, all right? So that's, they're now established as a slave nation. This is who they are. This is their identity, and, but this is not God's plan for them. So he wants to bring them out of that, out of that place of slavery, um, similar to Jesus bringing us out of our identity as, as being enslaved to sin and death, okay? So let's read here from an Exodus chapter 2 um, from the life of Moses. Now, let's, before we do this, so Moses um, was, if you, if you don't know the story of Moses, do yourself a favor and go and read Exodus, such an incredible uh, picture of how God makes things work for His purposes and for the good of those who call, called by Him and who love Him. So, he's he, you know when when uh, Pharaoh is killing off um, Hebrew babies, he's saved, he's he's preserved, and he grows up. Uh, in contrast to, in terms of having to be uh, almost being killed by order of the Pharaoh, he now grows up in the Pharaoh's palace, right? <laughs> And uh, uh, and that in itself, that season must have been preparation for what God had prepared for him later. But he grows up in this royal palace, and he he's raised by the, the daughter of the of the Pharaoh. And so that in itself, you know, must have played a, speci- a very special role in his preparation for where, he, where God was taking him. But then this it stuff goes pear shaped very badly, okay? Because <laughs> he goes from the place of having all this privilege and everything you can imagine. I mean, the royal family had everything there was to have in terms of education and, um, you know, privileges and everything else. So he goes from that and he, and he commits murder and it, stuff just goes bad from there on. He has to flee into the wilderness and he spends about 40 years there. Um, and let's just read... Yeah, so from Exodus chapter 2, from the beginning then. Now Joseph was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And there was for, was for God called, 
God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abram, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt." But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Um, <clears throat> and then and he said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So this is a powerful moment where God calls um, Moses. And, and obviously, there's a lot of stuff happening here, um, but I want to point out the, how the progression from there. And there's this whole progression from, of the, you know, the go, how you know, it has to kind of work with Moses and Aaron, and then they actually end up going to Pharaoh, and they go negotiate, and it's back and forth, and go and read up again. It's really amazing to see how God works. Um, but, you know, the Pharaoh doesn't want to relent, and then this, we see the plagues happening, and all of that is crazy in its own way. But then we see the, the, the Lord delivering, through the leadership of Moses, delivering the people out of Egypt. Things go a little bit wrong there, because they end up not entering the promised land immediately, right? They end up, um, you know, they they're not full of faith. They look at the promised land. It doesn't look great to them because of the, the challenges there in the promised land. And they end up in the wilderness for 40 years. So that was not the initial plan. The initial plan was for them to just kind of uh, go through out of Egypt and into the promised land. But they were clearly not ready. And then God says, okay, we're going to have to wait for the next generation. All right? That in itself, I think, is a sermon on its own that we will not miss what God has prepared for us, that God doesn't have to go to the next generation. Amen? But um, so then they have to spend this time in the wilderness, 40 years as a nation in the wilderness. Now, just the practicality around this kind of breaks your you know, brain a bit. million-plus people camping in the desert for 40 years. That's got to have its logistical challenges. But... Um, who could have prepared them for this, spending this time in the wilderness? But the crazy thing we see is there was one person that was prepared because he had already spent 40 years in the wilderness. And that was Moses. <laughs> he had spent 40 years in the wilderness. He had spent 40 years dude and gone when nobody knew where he was or what he was doing. And he spent... And, and can you see how, I'm sure that must have not been his highlight, you know, fleeing 
as as a murderer and having to flee from from those Pharaoh wanting to kill him. But the hand of God on his life and preparing him for what was to come, taking him to a place of wilderness, taking him to a place of obscurity, to a place where he was serving and tending sheep. There seems to be a pattern in these couple of examples about sheep, but we'll get to that later. But uh, And often God would take us through a wilderness season, and in that season, I don't know, I don't know what was going on in Moses' mind, you know, coming from the royal palace. He must have given up on his dreams and ambitions growing up in a royal palace. Forty years is a long time. Okay, we trust the Lord that it's not going to be like that for all of us. But there are seasons that God takes us through that are that seem to be, you know, if we're not in tune with what the Holy Spirit is saying, we, we're like, why? Why is this happening? Why am I going through this wilderness season? Why am I in this place? But in the meantime, God is setting Moses up to be ready for what he is call him to do and to deliver the nation of Israel and to lead them through the wilderness through that whole season incredible um, to see the big picture here Um, so in that time of obscurity in that time of tending sheep out there in the wilderness God was preparing Moses for what he had to do he was working he was tending sheep for his father-in-law right so that must have been tough some respects, but um, and the the pattern I see, uh, which we'll see a bit later as well, is that even with with David, maybe the sheep was part of the preparation for working with people. Eh? You never know. <laughs> but because David had to be king, he had to lead God's people. Moses had to lead God's people. Um, so maybe the sheep, maybe that helps. I don't know. Maybe if you're a leader. Um, Maybe you can spend time around some sheep, you know. Maybe it's to <clears throat> teach us patience or something like that. I don't know. Uh, parenting helps as well in terms of the patience. But, but God does his work of preparation. So in a time of obscurity, in a season of wilderness, keep your heart close to what God is doing. and Keep your heart soft to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Because he is setting you up for where he's taking you. Amen. It could be long. It could be a short season. But he's, he has a plan. Don't, don't underestimate what God is doing in that season of wilderness. In that season of obscurity. That season of um, feeling like you're in the middle of nowhere spiritually. That's what happens when you go to the Molapur where we were. It really feels like the middle of nowhere. It is a, it's a little bit like that if you look on the map. You know, um, I think they have to travel two, two hours to get to a decent shop. Yeah, so that is pretty much. But it, if you want to get to a, a decent town, it's, it's f- 500Ks or something. It's, anyway, it's different, different lifestyle, right? But... Uh, um, so don't underestimate what God is doing in those seasons. Let's go on to um, the next one. Okay, Joshua. Now, um, each one of these, I suppose, you can do a sermon on its own, but I want to just touch on a few points here. So Joshua um, 
we see him when he was one of the 12 spies sent out to check out the land. And that was before they had to spend 40 years in the desert, in the, in the wilderness. And he was one of the two that were looking at the promise through the eyes of faith. Him and Caleb, they were the ones that were saying, Yo, you know what, this is hectic, but God is with us. This is, it's, it's hectic, but it's amazing. What God has prepared for us, it's good and it's amazing, and, and God will help us to overcome the obstacles, right? So he was full of faith. He was, um, him and Caleb, they were ready to go, and, uh, but the others were not. So even just the fact that he managed to work with that disappointment of being there on the, on the verge of going into the promised land and then the, the guy saying, no, we can't do this, and then spending 40 years in the, in the wilderness, that must have been something to work through in terms of offense. But um, then we see him assisting uh, Moses. So again, we see him um, serving, we see him assisting Moses. Um, and let's have a quickly read here um, of, of in Exodus chapter 33, verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And in verse 9, when, when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud, which was the presence of God and how the, he, how the Lord led them, the pillar of cl cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. The scripture, you know, speaks of how the glory of the Lord was upon Moses when, when he came from the presence of the Lord. But how powerful is this that his assistant, Joshua, was also there. And he would stay longer, even when Moses had left the presence of the Lord. He would stay. And we see through the life of Joshua, he, you know, in the, even in the in the, bat the battles that they had in the wilderness, he was the one that was leading the army. So he, he was assisting Moses. He was seeking the presence of God. And he had to go, he had to lead the nation in the battles. Even that, that famous one where the Lord um, said the victory would be theirs as Moses would, was held, holding up his arms. Um, as long as he held up his arms, they were winning. And, and then somebody had, some people had to come and hold up his arms, Aaron and her, and, they, and Joshua was leading the battle. And sometimes it, it's in those battles that God prepares us for what was to come. And then when Moses passes away, then Joshua is the one that takes the nation into the new season, into the promised land. He is the one. And he, he had a different skill set to Moses. He had a different... Uh, approach, but God had prepared him in his presence. He had prepared him in, th in the battles that he had to go through, uh, in what he had to work out in his own heart after, after saying, yes, we can do this, you know, now having to go detour 40 years and then getting back to the same place, saying, okay, let's try again type of thing. Um, in, that sea, in the battles that we go through, God is a way of preparing us what's coming.
And you, maybe you're finding yourself in a battle. Um, maybe you're finding yourself in what's a, what feels like a, an extended wrestle or battle. I want to encourage you this morning that don't lose sight of what the Holy Spirit, what God is doing in your heart. Maybe you, like Joshua, have had some major disappointments where you were on the brink of something that seemed like this is God and this is, this is the next season and then it didn't happen. Maybe you've got a heart, something in your heart to, to, work, to wrestle through while you are wrestling through these battles. Amen. God is a way of, of taking us through those seasons in preparation for what He has for us. But this is precious for me that even that there's so much that happens when we are in His presence. There's so much preparation that happens in our hearts and um, in our lives when we are prepared to remain in His presence. We are prepared to put other things aside to meet with Him. Amen? <clears throat> Let's go on. And before we read the next one from the life of David, the, 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 the common theme here, or one of the common themes, except for the sheep, <laughs> is that there's, there's the serving that happens in the preparation. And that seems to be common through, through many of the major figures in the Scripture, that there's a place of serving. You know, um, Moses ends up serving Jethro, and... Not even in a glamorous way. For some, it might be a challenge to serve the, the father-in-law. I think maybe Je Moses was blessed like me with an amazing father-in-law, so it wasn't a problem. But, um, but a, a place of serving, a place of humility. So we see in the life of Moses, we see in the life of Joshua, he was serving Moses, right? So he was serving, he was assisting him, and he was coming from a humble place, a humble, uh, of assisting and serving. He didn't have a, at the beginning, you know, he didn't have a very important political position or anything like that. And one of my favorite bits is where uh, we see in the life of Elijah and Elisha, two of the major prophets, um, where Elijah is this incredible man of God and Lord uses him in incredible ways and just miracles and signs and wonders and powerful, um, you know, demonstration of the power of God through his life. And then we see this incredible moment where um, Elijah calls Elisha to basically to take his mantle and follow and follow him and be his kind of, um, to call it, successor. And it's one of our, it's such a powerful moment because, but he does it in such a weird way. But prophets are a bit weird. Have you, have you know, do you know any? Anyway, <laughs> prophetic guys. But it, you have to be a bit weird to do, to be obedient to the Lord and, and to this extent. But um, so powerful. He, you know, he just walks past Elisha and he puts his mantle on him and he just walks off. Just carries on. And then Elisha says, Okay, you know, this is something's happening, yeah, and then <laughs> go and read it again. It's so powerful. He, he ends up sacrificing the oxen with which he was busy plowing at that moment. He, he uses the wood of the plow and he sacrifices the oxen. He can't go back to plowing, you know, that's finished. And then he runs after Elijah. But this is such a powerful moment because this, is, this means that he will 
succeed Elijah, right? Which must have really been a huge moment for Elisha. And then the next verse says there, and then he became his servant. And he served him for, if my math is correct, it's at least six years or more. He, he was literally just being his servant. And, and we see this thread a lot where the service and the serving happening in the time of preparation. So don't est- underestimate the role of us serving one another, serving in the house of the Lord, serving at your workplace, serving somebody else's vision. That's tough sometimes. Before God will give you, will release you to run with your own vision. Often there's a, there's a season of serving somebody else's vision. And that's part of the preparation. Often, you know, Lord will check how, how well do we do serving somebody else's vision before he's able to release us into the vision that, that we have on our hearts from God. Amen? And um, so we see this in the life of Elijah. And then we also see this in the life of David, him coming from that humble place, being the youngest son, always being left with the, the worst chores, left in the field with the sheep, you know, tending the sheep, again the sheep, any case, but um, serving his dad, serving his brothers, he's the one that has to take the food, he's the one that, you know, when, when the prophet Samuel comes to their house, which must have been a huge event, they forget about him. He's just, he's the young, they don't even think about him. He's not invited. <laughs> he's not even there. <laughs> and so that's where he comes from. He plays from the place of humility, from a place of being the least, from a place of serving. Um, so we see this thread throughout. So let's look at the life of David. <coughs> um, he's, um, yeah, let's look at this moment here. So, First uh, Samuel chapter 17 from verse 32. So, so the context is the, the Philistines have come up to make, you know, to uh, attack the Israelites. And um, they've met across this valley, both, you know, either side of the valley. And a little bit of a um, impasse, they can't really advance, but... And neither side can advance because going down into the valley will make them vulnerable to the other side. And then they end up sending, the Philistines end up sending Goliath out and saying, whoever can defeat this guy, you're gonna, you know, whoever army wins this one-on-one battle. They used to do that sometimes in ancient times. They send out their champion, their best guy, and then they have a battle between two people. And then whoever wins would kind of decide the battle. But they send out Goliath, right? You can read the stats again. This huge guy. Some say three meters plus. And, and the whole army of Israel is in fear. Nobody wants to go up against this guy. And you know the story. But I, would, I just feel, you know, there might be a different angle to this a little bit. But let's look at verse 32. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. It's a pretty hardcore 
right there. Think about that. Taking the lion by the beard. Okay. And <laughs> by the mane. Uh, struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. But can you see that the, this gives us a clue of the preparation that David went through? Not only preparation for this battle, but preparation for the time when he would be king. Spending time, and we see this from the Psalms, and we see this from other writings, but spending time out there in the field playing, worship, you know, worshiping God with his instruments, but also tending the sheep, <laughs> but also learning how to do battle, you know, having to defend the sheep, having to um, face overwhelming odds, face these lions and bears and things. If you've seen some of those bears, it's very scary. We don't have to have them here, but they in the same kind of category as a lion, I would say, in terms of just huge and powerful and very scary. But can you see that, that God prepares him right there in the middle of nowhere where nobody can see, where there's no glory, there's no recognition, there's no any, nobody cheering him on, nobody clapping for him, patting him on the back. He's out there with God in his presence. But not only learning the faithfulness of God, but also learning skills. So you can say, but listen, I have killed a lion and a bear. I'm, God was with me. I can do this again. You know, but when we face the lions and the bears, often we're like, what is this about? Why are these things coming across my path? Lord, keep the lions and the bears away from the sheep, you know. <laughs> but then the lions and the bears coming, like, why? You know, <laughs> I prayed that there wouldn't be any lions today, but here they are, type of thing, you know. But then when we face them, when we face those those battles and those those obstacles, that's in those times when our faith is stretched and tested. And our and the Lord prepares us for that place where we can take on the Goliaths. Amen. And um the one thing that really challenges me about this is often we think about David as being the complete underdog. This is this guy that wrote about this. Ugh, what's his name? Um, yes, that one. Um, and he, he's also the guy who wrote the, the book, The Outliers. And, and anyways, but the, he, he's saying, and maybe I tend to agree with him to some extent, he's saying that we always think of David as being inferior in terms of his weapons or his okay he didn't have armor on so that didn't seem very good to go into battle without armor and stuff but if you think about it um <clears throat> goliath was a was an infantryman he was a foot soldier uh, and he had the heavy armor and the shield because he had you know be like really much in your face type of combat hand-to-hand -hand combat but David, in the field, he couldn't go hand-to-hand -hand with the lion, although it did take him by the beard, it seems. But um, he, he was trained in the, in, in the with use of the sling, which was more like an RPG. That's a rocket-propelled grenade. 
because that's something that you shoot at somebody from a distance. You don't, you're not facing him and you can smell his breath kind of thing. Not like that. It's like a distance. And uh, so that was a superior weapon because it's something you could, it was like more like light, uh, like um, a light cannon or a rocket-propelled grenade, like I said. But it's from a distance. But he was so skilled with this. And he was prepared. So it was not like he was inferior in his skill as, an, as, a, as a warrior. Can you see that? He was, he was superior. Um, he would, I was able to take the Goliath out from a distance very effectively. Um, and I believe the Lord doesn't... Yes, but can you see that, God, that David was not confused about where his strength lay? Amen. He had these skills. He had killed the lion and the bear. But when he faces Goliath, we read it later, he says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. That is in whose strength I come. This is in whose name I come. So he has the skills, he has the ability, he has a superior weapon, but he comes in the name of the Lord. I believe God is calling us as believers to be excellent in what we do, to be superior, to work extra hard, like the Daniel and his friends, to be 10 times better. Amen? So that when the Goliaths come, it, yes, we are ready for what God has prepared for us. So that when we, yes, we go through the, the, this, the season of preparation and we go through the, the, what seems like the um, massive detours in life, but knowing that God prepares us, to be 10 times better, to be superior in our skill, in our ability, that when we go into that Goliath situation, I'm not relying on my skills, and my, I'm relying on God. I'm going in the name of God, but I am prepared. Amen? So, you know, in terms of your work, in terms of your skills, in terms of what you're doing in your workplace, trust for that same anointing that we see how often in Scripture when God anoints people to do work excellently, where He gives them favor, but they work hard, amen? They do extra. They put in the hours. They put in the work, and God blesses that so that His name will be glorified. So whether it's in your workplace, whether it's, you know, in that maybe you're still working for somebody, but you have you know, dreams or aspirations of one day starting your own thing, then embrace the season that you're in. Trust the Lord to grow in those skills, to be excellent, to be better, to be the best. Not so that you can you know, blow your own whistle, but that you can bring glory to God who has put you there. Amen. And then when that it's time, that when, you've, when you're in that place of going beyond anything you've ever imagined, that, that He is faithful to take you through. Amen. So in our time of serving in humility, and when we grow in our skills, when we grow in our abilities, God is faithful to prepare us to the place where we can face the Goliaths and overcome. Are you with me this morning? And I just want to finally close with just a bit of a challenging scenario. Um, because in a time of preparation, in a time of <clears throat> a wilderness or like we saw with, with Moses and also with Joshua, even with David, there's often the tests of the heart that happen, right? Do we, are we going to keep 
our hearts in a good condition in the difficult seasons? Are we going to get bitter? Are we going to get disillusioned with God? Are we going to allow those difficult things around, about those seasons to, to influence our hearts? Are you with me? And we see this in the life of Jonah. And um, I'm not sure what his preparation season looked like. But what we can see here is something um, really clear about his heart condition. I want to try and make, make this very short. But the Assyrians, now, of the people of Nineveh, where, where God was calling Jonah, Jonah to go and minister, they were very bad people. And they were arch enemies of Israel. They, were, they had caused such a lot of um, harm and they've, they, in terms of war and war crimes and, and in the modern terms, they did all the atrocities you can imagine and, and, and the Israelites suffered at the hands of the Assyrians very badly. So this is the context. And now, so the Israelites hated the Assyrians. Let's just be clear about this. And, and Jonah himself, he, he wanted these people to experience the full wrath of God because of what they had done to his people. Okay, so that's the political and the kind of the background context. They, um, and now God calls Jonah to minister to these people that did all these atrocities against him, his people. And he's not keen. You see, that's why he runs. <laughs> he says, no ways. I'm not going to go preach at these people. I don't want, I don't want them to, to escape the wrath of God. I want them to perish. I want the Lord to bring fire from heaven and burn them. All right? He wanted them to be punished for what they did. And, um, and, and then, you know, you know, maybe if you're familiar with the story of Jonah, he runs the other way. God says, go there. He goes the other way. All right? He runs. And he ends up on a ship going somewhere as far as he can from the, from the purpose of the Lord. And, and the Lord brings him back, you know, supernaturally. He gets chucked off the ship. And he ends up in the, in the fish. And anyway, the point is he wrestles with God and he ends up, he ends up going there. And then he, he kind of grudgingly does what God told him to do. And sure as anything, this is any preacher's dream, right? People listen. People, and he didn't want them to listen. <laughs> so he, he preaches, and they listen, and they repent. And now he's upset because they listen to him. I don't understand that. But anyway, but let's look at Jonah 4. It says, but it now, because now the Lord relented, and he says, okay, I will not destroy them. And this is his response. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? And I said, that's exactly why I didn't want to go to Nineveh, <laughs> because I knew. He says, this is what I said. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. This is a hectic accusation against the Lord. Can you see? I knew that you are gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord says, do you do well to be angry? So the Lord says, what are you upset about? But can you see that there's something in Jonah's heart? 
there's an anger and a bitterness that, that is blocking him from the purposes of God. And he's unable to soften his heart towards these terrible people, which from a human perspective is 100% understandable. But from the perspective of, of us walking in the purposes of God, this anger and bitterness that's in his heart is keeping him from walking in the fullness of God's plan. And um, make a long story short, our, in our seasons of battles and wilderness and preparation, our heart, you have to guard your heart. Amen. Guard your heart against bitterness and anger and resentment. Because when it comes, that time comes when the Lord calls us, that is what can block us from really walking in His fullness. And Jonah was a, was a, he heard God's voice. He was anointed. He was gifted. But he was unable to deal with what was in his heart. He was unable to deal with that. Um, and I want to encourage us, if you know there's something in your heart, something that you need to deal with, do it now. Don't, don't wait for that moment and then realize, oh, well, now this thing is blocking me. It's keeping me from running with God's purpose right now. Anger or bitterness or disappointment or offense that builds up in our hearts. And unless we deal with it, that's what's going to trip us up when we face Goliath. Amen. Amen. Let's stand this morning. We're going to pray. Oh, this morning I really oh, sense that God wants to just minister to each one where you're at. And, the, you know, these seasons of preparation, they, they overlap with other seasons, right? Um, it doesn't mean you have to wait till you're 80 like Moses before you step into the main purpose thing. Lots of other things happen along the way. You know, last night I was reading with Emily about the... Um, was it just Josiah? Who's the guy that became king when he was seven? And Emily's seven, and her eyes just went big. You know, I said, "Yeah, you know, can you imagine being president?" You know, and she is astounded. But the, we were talking about how the Lord is not concerned about our age or where we are in our phase of life. He uses us as we make ourselves available. Amen. So don't, don't think in terms of years, in terms of, okay, I'm going to, one day when I'm 120, you know, <laughs> I'm going to be ready. But I'm really trusting that God would work in our hearts, that whichever season you're in, whichever wilderness you're in, or whichever battle you might be in, that you might be able to keep your heart soft, that we are able to keep our hearts soft for what the Holy Spirit is doing in preparation. But also that we will be able to pay attention to what's going on on the inside. Is there bitterness that's building up? Is there resentment? Is there anger at God? Jonah was 
properly angry with God. And that was blocking him. He didn't agree with God the way he was doing things. He says, no, God, these guys deserve to be punished. He was going more towards justice. He didn't want the mercy bit to, to triumph. Amen. So is there an anger or a bitterness in our hearts that's blocking us? Let's just close our eyes. Let's spend some time in prayer. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Lord. It, even as Jonah declared in his anger that we know that you are a gracious God and merciful, Lord, that you are slow to anger, that you are abounding in steadfast love, Lord. And just as you did not destroy the Ninevites, just as you showed mercy, thank you that in the same way that you sent Jesus Christ, in your mercy, you sent your own son to stand in on our behalf. And your wrath was upon him instead of us. Thank you that in the same way that you relented from destroying Nineveh, Lord, even for all the evil and all the deeds, in the same way you relented from punishing us for all our sin and all our deeds because of the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that you enjoyed your time with us, establishing God's kingdom and His glory in your life. For more info, call us on 012-362-1363. Email us, pretoria at shofaronline.org. Browse our website, www.shofaronline.org. Or like us on facebook.com forward slash shofarpretoria.